125 of the Betty Yet Podcast. I'm Tim Crisp, your host. Betty Yet! The long form interview podcast featuring musicians talking about influence, talking about writing, and talking about being around the Water Boys. And an excuse to play them. My guy Matt Cothran knows Matt from Elvis to Presley is on the show this week. Such a good episode. Of this podcast, I love podcasts, and I love to talk, and that's why you can catch me talking on Thursday, that's tomorrow, if you listen to these as they're released, March 7th, the G-Man Tavern in Wrigleyville, right next to the Metro, I will be recording a live episode of the Liner Notes podcast, hosted by our friend Shannon Schreibach. Who is kind enough to let me discuss both Hello Bastards and Jersey's Best Dancers by Lifetime. It's a discussion that's as much about the burn CD gifted to me as a 15-year-old by my cool older friend. I'm very much looking forward to it. I was able to make my own adjustments to the flyer, made my name a little more prominent. You can take a peek. On my Twitter at Better Yet Pod. The deal goes down this Thursday, March 7th, at the G Man Tavern, 7 p.m. It is 21 and over, but it is also free. Sharing is a big theme to the talk, and it's also a big theme in my conversation here today with Matt Cothran. The joys we get out of sharing music with people, mixes, Plugging your homies art, sharing music was something that was hammered into me growing up and something I think carries into this show, getting to share all kinds of different people who make the music that I appreciate the most. I got so excited about this interview with Matt that I shared it early over on Patreon for my pledging fam. And by early, I mean right after Matt left, I threw it up there uncut uncensored there are no rules over at patreon.com slash podcast the only rule is i got to provide in exchange for monthly pledges that mad interview and all other bonus audio you'll have access to for a mere five dollars a month with that you get a postcard and you can upgrade to all that in a patch for 10 or this one all that stuff and a bag of coffee a month for $20. Now, different coffees, too, some with a retail value 
of more than $20 because I only buy good coffee. I only roast good coffee. It's a good deal, and I've got a limited number available, so get on over to patreon.com slash Podcast. All right. My guest this week is Matt Cawthorn of Elvis DePresley. Elvis DePresley, Matt, formed as an offshoot of Coma Cinema, a project he started in high school. Coma Cinema was this real interesting combination of home recordings, minimalist folk that would incorporate electronic elements, electric guitars, synth washes, things that are traditionally maybe in opposition but came together to make something really unique and beautiful. And it caught on quickly getting picked up by a lot of blogs and Pitchfork, and as the Coma Cinema profile began to rise, Matt quietly started Elvis Depressly, a move that sparked deep intrigue in my mind. And with Elvis Depressly, Matt has continued to write incredible songs with a shape-shifting sonic palette. He's an interesting cat, lots to talk about, and well, I knew we were going to have plenty to talk about. He's got a song called Nakamura, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Great talk this week. So let's get to it. We'll start the song. This is Angel Come Clean, followed by my interview with Matt Cox. sitting there trying to make a decision for right, your entire right. night so i knew that we were i knew that we were going to hit it off once i once i made the realization that you named a record after the damn ecw, ECW arena. arena yeah and then you come in here and and you you tell me that don't tell the soul is your favorite replacements record yeah and that's a lot to take in yeah i don't feel like it's a lot of people's favorite but it it's it's my favorite i don't know it's got the best catchiest Westerberg songwriting. Oh, it's it's his poppiest shit for sure. I think where it loses me is things like you know they're blind. Like I love they're blind. What is it that you like? You you like the sound of it. You like the composition of it and the lyrics too. I don't know. I think there's there's a lot more uplifting kind of messages on there. Fun stuff, you know. Because they were. They're, they are fun, but a lot of the early records are moody, you know? Yeah, for sure. And angsty and stuff like that, which is cool. But as I get older, I love, I mean, talent shows, like nostalgic for me. It makes me think of like I being in a band. You yeah, know? absolutely. Um, I and I really came around to All Shook Down mm-hmm. like a few years ago. It was it's a great one, too. When I was starting to turn 30 and then realizing, like, yeah. oh, Okay, this is like the replacements record yeah. about when your when your friends good. get married. Yeah. yeah, last is a great one. Nobody mm-hmm. and just like I love the, you know, 
some of my favorite replacement songs are the ones where he's just talking about the band mm-hmm. and it feels like the whole second half of that record is just about the band being done yeah and also just the industry the business like the um what's the song with the the shit on the needle like your record yeah that's a crazy song sure. anyway like totally bizarre sound but that's all kind of about how the music business sort of manipulates right. artists and stuff yeah and they're blinds about that too I yeah. guess I always I always saw they're blind as like just like such a high school prom song. It that. comes off that way because the production. But then you listen, it's like talking about how critics, you know, they just look at your record and then they just you uh-huh. know, for a couple months of a year, and then they they move on, you know. And, and that's you, how it is now. Too. You identify with that a uh, lot. Yeah, I feel yeah. like I feel like every time I, I read something about your band, your projects, mm-hmm. you kind of take a moment to talk about that aspect of yeah. of being a working musician yeah there's a lot of these people don't just don't know you know about the job it's the same thing with anything you know in, in entertainment business where you're traveling where you're 1099 uh-huh. you know they don't understand how much goes into it from that end if unless you're you know hooked up with a bunch of management or something like that if you're right. really independent then it's 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 pretty chaotic and there's not a lot of truly independent artists Right now, a lot of artists are coming out of the gate with a team, you know? Yeah, And people definitely. don't even realize they have a team, and, and they have this sort of fashionable sort of, like, D- DIY ethos that is, like, a put-on, you know? Right. And I think, uh, it's I think like that was a the, problem back the, then, too. The recording aspects of it, like, are indicative of, like, oh, someone's just doing this in their bedroom and sure. and putting it out on Bandcamp sure. and then you you look into it a little bit more and it's like well they all have the same yeah. press and they and all... their bedrooms like in an right. expensive neighborhood you know? yeah definitely <laughs> it's like way more expensive than a studio you know well i mean i feel like that has to be that had to be a lot for you to take in when you're doing something like coma cinema yeah. in 2010 2011 where mm-hmm. it it is that yeah. And it gets picked up, but it's before that has the same sort of cultural capital sure. that it does three years later, maybe. Yeah. Now, there was a period not that long ago where everybody was like lo-fi, you know. Everything uh-huh. was lo-fi. And, these, and they, you know, they were recording on expensive equipment, you know. I, I'd never saw my music as lo-fi, but I also understood that it was like more of a like a descriptor of a scene than a descriptor of what the music sounds like. Right. So I kind of let it go, you know? Yeah. Cause you can't really, if you're out there like trying to control that narrative, like yeah. well, good luck having a life. Yeah. I'd be fighting forever. <laughs> you know, like, you know, if Nirvana were still around, they'd still be called the like, grunge and stuff, you know, like even if they were doing new wave records, like they wanted to. Or whatever. Right. It's just, you can't get away from my friend uh, Chaz and Tori Moi, like you know, he'll probably get called Chillwave for the rest of his life. You know? Yeah, for sure. But he's Colombia, right? He's Colombia. He's from Colombia. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, he actually got me started in music. He's he's uh-huh. the person that helped me. He's the only reason I'm here with you right now, is because he 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 vouched for me. He really uh, put out the word for me and helped me. Like in uh-huh. my scene, I was like a pariah. Just yeah, because for sure. everyone thought my music was bad. Uh huh. Because it was not at that style. The style at the time was like Grizzly Bear. Uh huh. These very like put together bands that have very immaculate production and like yeah. great, you know, s- orchestras and stuff. Right. It's indie rock, but yeah, it's, but it's, it's big. so it's it was so like Arcade right. Fire, so big and uh-huh. orchestrated. And you know, I couldn't get shows. 
I couldn't do anything, but he would, he had a band, like a rock band back in the day, and he'd always let me open for him. Uh-huh. He's the one that told me that like music blogs exist. Yeah. He was like, you got to start sending your music, you got to start sending your music out, you know, like. Is that yeah. how? Is that yeah, how? That's how he he's very soft spoken. Right. Yeah, <laughs> he's very soft spoken. But so, and and that's like way back. You're doing coma cinema. You start that in high school, right? Yeah, when I was a kid. So, so did you grow up with music in the house? I mean, you you freaking yeah. dropped one on me yeah. on the way My over. My brother, here. yeah. Also Tim named as well. Tim. Yeah. After that, never happened. I've never. I didn't know that there was another one. Yeah, um, there might be only two. I don't know. This is this is just. <laughs> Highly exciting. Yeah, I was excited when I heard you say that. I was like, that is uh, so cool because that's like my bro. Or yeah. And I'm just going to point out that you were listening to a podcast of mine. Not that yeah. this is the way that I introduce <laughs> myself. Um, but but you talk about growing up with a lot mm-hmm. of music happening all around you. Sure. Yeah, I was very lucky. I had um, my mom, my stepdad, uh, my uncle... They had such cool music tastes. So yeah. I'm like 12, 13. My uncle's making me CDs of like My Bloody Valentine and Cocktoo Twins and Fuck. Aztec Camera and yeah. Trembling Blue Stars, all these great Once bands. Once you get into the Aztec Camera level of it, it's yeah. like, oh, okay, cool. Someone knows yeah. things. And it's, it, was, it was really cool. And a lot of it at first, I was like, what is this? Mm-hmm. Because I was listening to like, you know, Creed and... Stained sure. and stuff like that. Yeah, and, whatever's uh, on the radio. Yeah, rock. I right. loved the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I still uh-huh. lo- love the Red Hot Chili Peppers, but I was like obsessed with like Californication and stuff. That was like the yeah. greatest album ever to me. Dude, I I hate that there are songs <laughs> on there that I'm just like, man, just tonally, oh, I yeah. really really like the way John Frusciante plays guitar. There's a lot of aspects that I don't want anything to do with it. Yeah. I started to play bass, sure. and then I had a bass teacher that was like, "Well, we got to learn these Chili Pepper yeah, songs." Like, no, <laughs> no, I don't. Look, yeah. Blink One Eighty Two. You just do T's. <laughs> That's all I want to do. But um, so, so your mom, your stepdad, is your dad around? My dad, uh, we're not like cool. You know, he was. We tried, but he, uh, he, he's just, he, he's not a very trustworthy person, you know? Oh. He, like, stole a bunch of money from me oh, when my granddad died, because I was very close to my granddad, like, I, you talked about being really close to your granddad. My granddad, yeah. like, raised me, wow. you know? My mom, my stepdad, they were cool, but mm-hmm. they didn't really raise me, you know? Because um, they had their own things that they couldn't really do it, you know? So I moved in with my granddad when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and learned a lot of great music from him, but just country stuff, you know. Like, yeah, sure, like, sure. Uh, Roy Acuff and and uh, Farron Young, and oh, all these yeah, great those. country artists and right. stuff. And that's a huge part of who I am now. Acuff Rose, right? Acuff Rose, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the uh, Uncle Tupelo song. Yeah, that's, I love Uncle Tupelo too. My stepdad got me into them. Yeah, because he was a college rock hipster guy, you know. So he's he's following things as it's happening because if he's mm-hmm. if he's listening to Uncle Tupelo, you're not that far removed from right. that shit sure. as it's going down. Yeah. So they were pretty in tune, my my stepdad and my mom. And yeah. when I did live with them, you know, they we'd listen to a lot of REM and um Talking Heads and uh, Yeah. My mom Amy Mann. I love Amy Mann. They got yeah. me into Amy Mann. So were you I guess like you know, when you're presented with music like that from you know, an adult, it tends to come with like a, this is a thing that not everybody appreciates as deeply 
as we do. Sure. And you kind of like take in yeah. that. In a, From the like, earliest age, like uh-huh. music has just been completely just in my brain, like a, right. just, just latched in and that was it. Like Prince early on, um, Michael Jackson. Yeah. I mean, I should just every kid, kind of, right. you know, yeah. everybody liked Michael Jackson back then, but then like, you know, Black or White, I remember that song was such a hit, and Man in the Mirror and stuff. I used to love those songs. I used to, mm-hmm. I used to dance like when I was a little kid yeah. to that music. And but stuff. then you 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 end up connecting to, like, things that are coming from all different types of places. Yeah. Like, I, I see you shout out the Water Boys so much. I love, I love the Water Boys. great band. They're so great. I love that band. Some of the, some of the greatest songwriters fucking ever. Ever. Coming out. A Pagan Place is, like, a masterpiece that people don't really understand. You ever hear How John Wesley it Harding? It's one of the guys like offshoot bands. Oh no, no, dude, it's fucking it power pop. It's really, I'd be really good. Way into it, I'm sure. Yeah. Um. So, so when did you when did you start playing? Like, did your stepdad play? He he played guitar, but he never had a band or anything like that. Yeah. Um. I've taken some licks from him though that he's like shown me, and I've uh-huh. turned them into songs yeah. later on. My uncle was in a band all all my life, and um, my mom, you know, we. She'd take me to his shows, like, and it'd be, I don't know how I got in, because it'd be at a bar, I have no idea how I would get right. in, but I would see my uncle play, um, and it was super loud, I remember, you know, I have memories of just being, like, overwhelmed by how loud it is, uh-huh. so I, I definitely, and my mom was a poet, and is a poet, and she used to do poetry readings and stuff, oh, wow. and then actually when I was really little, I did one, too, I went up on stage, that was the first time I've ever done something like that, uh-huh. they had, like, a jazz band behind me, No shit. and I was reading some poem, like, my imagination is... Uh-huh. Where I can be, you know, it was like one of those things like that yeah, yeah. with this jazz band behind me. And it was like, it was really cool. And that was like the first thing. So I was kind of surrounded by people who were artists and stuff. Um, uh-huh. But I didn't start playing. It was Coma Cinema shows, you know, in high school. Yeah. I would play. Um, when you start with Coma Cinema, is it is it just you? Because I know you got people playing on those records, but those shows you're just you're playing yeah. by yourself. It was... It was definitely. I always wrote the songs. Uh huh. And it's the same thing with the Elvis band, which has constantly changed, and I've really only been the constant member uh, of the Elvis band. But yeah, the Coma stuff. I, there was people in high school I played with. We all had similar similar interests in music and stuff. And we were doing weird stuff back then that, you know, was kind of ahead. At least for Spartanburg, South Carolina, where I'm from, it was definitely ahead of its time. Yeah, we were doing a lot of stuff with live sampling drum machines and and stuff like that and people had never seen it before and that was another reason why we couldn't get shows you know because people right. people wouldn't they didn't see my music as legitimate you know and i still like i feel i still kind of feel like i fight uphill i'm super lucky i have a, a, a like an actual listener base that's so supportive you know lots uh-huh. of people listen to it but i don't end up you know being talked about a lot like in a in a canonical way i feel like uncanonized sometimes you yeah know what i mean yeah and it was that way back then too where it was like oh no one takes you seriously well it's, it's just interesting like all the you know the circles that you've found yourself in you've always mm-hmm. felt like an outlier like when yeah. run for cover signs you sure. it's like that's a good pickup for run for cover but nobody else really yeah. sounds like run for Co- or like you on run for cover sure. and i don't think a lot of the bands on that label particularly like what I do, you know, and I don't listen to a lot of that style of music, you know, uh-huh. I've, I've never been a too much of a pop punk person outside of like the old stuff, you know, Yeah, sure. From my age, uh-huh. you know? I always thought, I never, when it came back, I was like, what do you, what, uh-huh. you know, because 
to me, it'll never get better than like the used and AFI and Blink-182, you know? So these sure. modern pop punk bands, I'm like, I don't know how to relate to this at all. Um, when you, when you start, when you start playing though, and you, you're already like writing poems, so you're just, mm-hmm. you're, you're writing songs right away. Yeah. My stepdad gave me some advice. It was, and I didn't follow it, but it was really funny. He was like, uh, when I started playing guitar, he was like, don't try to write any songs for a year because you don't know what you're doing. Uh-huh. And I was like, first I was like, okay, and I'll just play and I'll learn to play. But yeah. Then it was like a month in. I'm immediately trying to write songs. I know uh-huh. two chords and I'm yeah, I'm sure. singing to it. You right, know? right, right, right. It's just, it was just what felt right. You, you know? just kind of like teaching yourself and like you, mm-hmm. you have a little bit of like a bass mm-hmm. and then it's just like, oh, okay, if I go from here to here, that sounds sure good and i can follow along with it yeah it, it's interesting to me because once that first coma cinema like collection thing comes out you know hearing Way it back, yeah. and yeah but it's it's wild to me that you're 18 at the time and your writing is so solidified but on top of it you know it's that aesthetic that you're kind of talking about when yeah. you have these recordings that are it's a lot there's a lot of energy that i really like in the fact that it is what is traditionally thought of as as lo-fi back then it was pretty it was pretty lo-fi i i was trying not to be right i wanted it to sound good Uh so people would listen but it was just was it just like a matter of well i don't know how to mic i was learning on the job yeah and i didn't have a sometimes like i didn't have a, a place to record you know i'd have to do it in a garage i'd have to do it in like a, a laundry room or i'd have to do it at a friend's house you yeah. know and i'd have to move around a lot and especially on the the first two things i did there's a lot of like different mics different recording setups kind of jumbled together and i wanted it to sound cohesive but it was just no way to really do it but you know. so i guess when you when you come away with like a final product like mm-hmm. that are you like yeah, this is uh, this isn't exactly how I want it to sound, but it's good enough. I might as well just like put it online. It's funny because at the time I worked on it for years. I started the first thing I made when I was like sixteen or something, and then I kept, I was working on it for years, and I was it has to be perfect. I was like uh, uh-huh. Phil Spector, like crazy, going crazy, you know. Yeah, and uh, I wanted it to be so perfect. Uh huh. And I actually thought I had made it perfect at the time. Yeah, you know, I was on like a manic like. Yes, I finally four years or whatever. Right, and I was like, "This is perfect." But now when I listen to it, there's all kinds of crazy mistakes all over it, and like wacky sounds. And I'm like, "What am I doing?" But at the time, I thought it was the greatest uh-huh. thing ever. Right, and I was I would had CDs. I was handing it out to everyone. I was going downtown uh-huh. and just giving people CDs. Yeah, how did that go? I don't know because I never really heard anything back. I don't know if I even wrote a number right. or anything. You know, I mailed that record to like every indie label, uh-huh. uh, and I would put I put it in boxes with like all these plastic skulls i spray painted and like weird confetti i like cut up money into confetti and threw it in there and all this weird shit and i was thinking that like i have to get their attention somehow they're gonna open this box and be like what the hell is this yeah but i never got any response or anything well yeah i'm sure the the box has got a lot of concerned (laughs) looks like oh no um i i guess i just you know love the idea that you you know, you refer to it as mistakes, but there's mm-hmm. this real power in listening to that and hearing, you know, like a close mic, acoustic guitar and like low down vocals. And then just this synth wash that feels like these things are yeah. not supposed to be together. Yeah. yeah. But there's like 
there's a, a youthfulness that mm-hmm. says either like, well, I don't understand sure. that that's like kind of the unwritten rule of sure, things. Yeah. I didn't know the rules. Right. Yeah, so I'm just like kind of, I'm trying to make the music that I like, you know, and, uh-huh. and it's so, so much types of music at that point, you know, right. Like, Cause I'm, I've always just sort of let it carry me, you know, and since I had such a diverse amount of music being put on me as a young child, and then when I started getting my own music, that was when I, like, found, like, rap music and stuff, and I got way uh-huh. into, like, the Anacon and, um, oh, fuck yeah. you know, Cannibal Ox and, and Cloud Dead and um, Dude, Idea thir- and Abilities. 13 and God 13 record. and God was, Dude, and I love the notice. Best yeah. records ever made. Very underrated record. Yeah. And I, I was huge into stuff like that. You know, and then and like Bone Thugs, mm-hmm. and um, uh, you know all that stuff. You know, you just yeah, you you just are taking it all in, and and that makes a lot of sense because I feel like there's just things that happen over the course of your discography where sure. it's just like, oh word, like you were listening to Cocteau Twins and uh, you know some fucking Jillian Welch at the time, and yeah, yeah. here it is, it's together. Yeah. And I was just wanting to, it to sound like stuff I liked, and then. I just I didn't say no a lot to, to to ideas, and I still try not to. You know, I still try to, I still try to just try new things out. You know, try to change my game up. Right. I don't want to get stuck. You know, and end up making the same record over and over or something like that. It know? feels like even though things are refined, you're still open to you know putting mm-hmm. like a guitar line that sounds like it belongs on a funkadelic record. I love funkadelic, t- dude. They so are the fucking best. It yeah. was funny. Unreal. I've had I've had a couple of. Um, moments as I'm getting ready for this where, you know, oh, this fucking record that's named New Alhambra. And, yeah. and you know, <laughs> last week I introduced the show with California Dreamin' by uh, Eddie Hazel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. That's fucking funny. I didn't even <laughs> think about that. Yeah. Um, But, you know, that shit gets picked up on pretty quickly. Yeah, I love it when people kind of get the references and stuff, getting the connections and stuff, especially musically. You know? Yeah. Like, we, we had this song that's like, taking Xanax, listening to Morphine. Uh-huh. And I love it when people are like, oh, I love Morphine. That's such a great yeah. band, you know? And I'm yeah, like, yeah, totally. one of the greatest bands ever. And I just thought it was a funny thing to say uh-huh. because of the, like, you know, it's two drugs or whatever. But, right, like, right. it's kind of a double meaning or whatever. But I just, you know, I, I love shouting out um music in music i think it's really fun i feel like and you i wanted to make sure that this was whether it's accidental or or purposeful but i hear melodies that come out and you'll yeah you'll use them but you won't like rely on Mm -hmm. them they'll just be on top for a bar and then you drop it absolutely um usually it's intentional sometimes it's not yeah for sure well it's kind of one of those things where it's like it's like I feel like there are things that are just kind of naturally out there and if you happen upon it and it's mm-hmm. already been happened upon and you didn't think about it oh, well you know that's just how it goes you know and you're sharing like the same notes among the you know the whole legacy of all music so right. like you're part of this community anyway yeah and so of course you know things are gonna get in there and i think it's really cool when it happens it's like serendipitous or something there's I only really eight like of them it. yeah there's fucking only eight of them <laughs> um so cool. you're Already too, like in those early records, you're kind of operating in the the lyrical mm-hmm. territory of kind of the absurdist, uh, yeah. existential, yeah. or the like 
there's a really good uh, Lenny Bruce bit where sure. you know height of the height of the Cold War and he's just <laughs> screaming, "We're all gonna die!" And that's the fucking funniest shit it's I've really ever. Hilarious. Heard. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, it, but it's like for you, it's like it seems like death is kind of if it's not a topic it's it's definitely like looking down upon your topic yeah it's it's definitely a factor you know and i i like to kind of i really like the sort of like chinese poetry of saying things you know like you know uh and and them being sort of really open to interpretation you know especially about like spiritual matters and yeah. life and death and stuff and really having Saying a lot and saying nothing at the same time, you know. I always yeah. kind of enjoyed that in lyrics, and I, I try to do that a lot too. But are I, you taking that from you? Are you taking that from other songwriters, or do, I'm I'm sure that like you know your mom's a poet. Is yeah, that... I was in, I got a lot of cool books when I was. Well, I got into a lot of cool books through her, um, and like Donald Barthelme. I don't know if you've read oh, Donald. Yeah, He's dude. one of my favorite He's writers. So funny. And he does a lot of hilarious kind of yeah. dark, sometimes dark stuff, but it's like hilarious. Mm -hmm. and, um, His essays are, are fantastic. Yeah, he's, he was a, he's great, you know, amazing. And uh, my mom got me into that. My mom really got me. In, she read me the Little Prince, Antoine de Saint Juppery, Little okay. Prince, like over and over as a kid. And it's like a that kind of thing. It's very. Uh, is it one of those like morbid? Well, fairy tale it's, type yeah, stories. It's, it's it's like a little bit more, but there is a there is actually an, a big part of dying is a big part of it. As but it's also in the book kind of depicted as like a, a rebirth and a return back uh -huh. to the source of where you're from. But it's basically just like a prince who lives on a comet. He travels through space and he meets all these weird characters. Yeah, there's a part where he meets a drunk, and uh, you know, he asks him like, "What do you you know." Uh, well, what's up with you? And he's like, I'm sad. And he's like, Why are you sad? You know, he's like, Because I'm ashamed. Uh -huh. You know, or, or he's he's like, he, he says, I'm drinking. And he's like, Why are you drinking? And he's like, Because I'm ashamed. He's like, Why are you ashamed? He's like, Because I'm drinking. You know, and it's right, like he meets right. all these characters that give him these sort of like cyclical kind of things. And I think that got in my head a lot. You know? Yeah. And I I think I I write in that way. You read Beckett? No, I, Dude, I should. Yeah, yeah you would, should get on would, Beckett. He's cool because he's that that like I'm just gonna sit here mm -hmm. and do nothing. Why are you doing nothing? Yeah. Well, <laughs> what else would I do? Um, Coma Cinema though it mm -hmm. it gets picked up like my old Kentucky blog. Yeah, that was Pitchfork. that was actually the very first. Yeah, the first one. Yeah, Pitchfork like does a a video premiere and shit like that. The I guess video killed me. It almost killed me. I lost my mind making well, that video. It took well, me three I, months. It's a minute and a half or something. Why did it take you so long? Because I was a lunatic. I was editing. I filmed six hours of footage for it. Uh huh. And I was editing it for days. And like the whole thing with the flames and the all that like. There were so many different things I set up that didn't make it. Just absurd kind of like setting things on fire, yeah. breaking things and like, you know, going into these abandoned places, you know, uh, doing all this crazy stuff. Is that is that the type of thing that you uh, typically do? Well, I haven't made a video since because it took so much out of me to well, make that one. It I made mean, me like, crazy. I mean, like the um, I guess I happen upon a lot of stories, too, about the mm -hmm. early coma cinema days where you're going into different places to record like that. And you referred to it as kind of just the, well, I need to record mm -hmm. something and it's got to be here. Mm -hmm. But that's still a, like a manic type of energy. And, sure. you know, I, I was thinking too, like, you're so 
prolific. You're always doing things and does People it People say that, out? but I don't feel prolific enough. Right, because you know, you you're aware of the it. fact that you watch too much TV, but right. I like play video games, you know, right. I got to cut them out sometimes. Uh-huh, you know? but not a lot of people put out an LP every year for a solid stretch of time. So That's true. You know, does your the idea that you did a music video that made you go crazy it's yeah. it's not all too surprising <laughs> to the perception that i had of yeah. you yeah i enjoy and i i like the video a lot i still like it i watched it recently just to make sure it wasn't like stupid yeah and i really liked it you know so at that time you know you're maybe you're, you're putting things in in a in a way that's like you know maybe maybe it is a little theatrical but it's the way that you need to mm -hmm. do it for it to come out and to make sense to you is yeah. that something that you have kind of continued on a path on or you think like your creative process is a little bit more honed in now and a little sure. bit less exhausting yeah it's definitely i've learned what i'm capable of and i've learned like what works for me best i i have a much simpler process now i've been living in the same place for like six years which yeah. is pretty the longest i've really ever lived anywhere outside was with my granddad when i was a child and so i have a, a process you know um and it's a lot better it makes me a lot more sane and less you know anxious uh but then again you fall into the trap of like now that it's all now that you know what you're doing you get too comfortable yeah and you either don't work as much or you work too easy there's a lot of songs um over the last couple of years working on this new elvis record where i like had to delete them because i knew that i had like you're just like you're phoning it in here yeah and you've never phoned it in your whole life like what uh -huh. are you doing and i had to go kind of soul search and be like what's making you think that it's okay to, to phone it in right now like you should always be pushing you know and so yeah. i had to rework these songs and i made them really great but i had to kind of you have to be very um I think to be a good artist, you have to be like not not self-critical because that hurts you. But you have to be aware. You have to be able to listen objectively. Yeah. You have to be able to say when you did something really great, and when you did something that's not so great. Yeah, yeah. You know? But some people just only know when they did something not so great and they beat themselves up. But you have to also be like, this record is awesome. Like, you know, a lot of times when I put out a record, I listen to it for like three weeks. Right. straight and yeah. think it's the greatest record and love it and yeah, just jam yeah. it out you know and i think all artists should be that way you should be yeah absolutely you should be filled with joy by what you make because right. it's, it's your art you know so i mean how do you think you get to a point where you are phoning it in like what what leads up to that is it is it just you know over the course of years of of doing it and maybe losing sight of what it was initially mm. or you know is there something that just kind of makes you say what the fuck i don't i don't even i don't even give a shit anymore true it's it's definitely it's kind of both of those things i mean also the the music business is 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 not really designed to inspire artists you know yeah it's difficult it makes you feel invalid you know it makes you feel like what you're doing is ridiculous you know that that you're just sort of like acting out in this broken system where no one really cares about anything you know when you meet certain people in the music industry they, they're so um disconnected from they don't love music like i do you know to right. me music is the greatest thing 
I get tear. You know, I feel like I'm gonna cry just talking about how much I love music. Right. I love it yeah, so yeah, much. Yeah. I'm so passionate about how much I love music. And there's people in this music business that just don't have that. Well, I feel like there's a you know, I don't want to like pass judgment onto onto everyone, but sure. you know, when I the the things that excite me the most, you know. This Funkadelic kick that I'm on. Oh, yeah, it's, it's so good. It's been a goddamn week. That's Just awesome. Isaac Hayes, There's Funkadelic. a live version of uh, Maggot Brain, yeah. and it's oh, like 15 minutes long. Oh, fucking right. It's fucking right. incredible. Yeah. The um, drums like aren't even in time some parts, and it's it's the best thing ever. It's, that That's so exciting and, and, yeah. and captivating mm-hmm. to me. But the idea of, of, of you spending a week in a hole mm-hmm. with things that existed... 50 years ago yeah. it's it's not exactly in tune with the way things function in you know an industry that's just about getting it, getting out, it out turn it, it yeah. out and and turning artists into into things that are not what they should be you know the you're not supposed to be like all these things and now an artist has to be everything they have to be a spokesperson for everything they believe in they have to be like a product that the appearance is so even in indie rock you know i feel like the right. indie rock industry is 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 like what i thought the the pop industry in the early 2000s was i think that was, that shift has become very apparent and then the, the the mainstream artists are the ones who are like speaking their minds mm-hmm. and doing experimental things i was just listening to uh well it's Casey like every, musgraves right, and she's right. great she's great it's like every everybody has maybe people are going to be upset beyonce has done uh some things where she has just shown that she is interested in taking control over her music and the way it comes out mm-hmm. and i think that it comes out pretty good yeah. but the like showers of praise that come on to her for for just doing that mm-hmm. it's like people are not given that like right that mm-hmm. ability until they reach a point where they get to do it. Freedom, and then yeah. when they do, it's just like, oh my God, like what, you know, beautiful artistic statements. Sure. And it's just, yeah, it is interesting the way that yeah. that's kind of turned back around. Right. And, you know, who knows how many artists would be doing different things yeah. to, if they weren't. But I know, I mean, I know bands that are like, you know, people that I've come up with in the scene and they they come and they tell me the kind of stuff they're being told. We're like, in indie rock and people would would never believe it but it's like some of these labels are saying like oh you can't make that your album art you know yeah or you can't call the album that you can't wear that it's yeah. it's craziness you know and i know i'm lucky we're run for cover is like great and they just whatever i want to do, well, you do. yeah mm-hmm. it's very like free you know but not a lot of labels are, are like that at all it, it is it's it's interesting to me to you know look back to a time when you kind of get picked up in, in a certain extent is like hot new thing coming out of South Carolina of all places. Sure. And then what was intriguing to me in mapping out Coma Cinema and Elvis to Presley is Coma Cinema, you know, you put out Blue Suicide, which I think is is the best one that you'd done at least by then. Sure. Yeah. And then you do the first Elvis. Sure. And then the next five things our Elvis, yeah, which yeah. is a conceptual project sure. about about Mickey, and it's also there's yeah. no there's nothing in 
Elvis de Presley that is just immediately identifying as, hey, this is Matt from Coma Cinema. Mm-hmm. Sure. Remember, we like him, so pay attention to this new thing. It's a little yeah. bit different, but it's it's kind of the same. Yeah. That felt like an intentional, like, yeah. I was losing my mind. Yeah. I was scared. I was truly terrified because I put all this pressure on myself uh-huh. because people were paying attention in a way that was overwhelming to me. And so I was like, well, I'm going to just change band. I'm going to change this name. And then I put out, the first thing I put out under Elvis was like a 40-minute ambient record yeah. that was all improv. That shit's fucking sick. I like it. Thank you. Yeah. I, I really like it a lot. And it's You just explore weird. that world. It's yeah. really weird. And it was. it's one of the weirder records I've even ever heard. It's a very strange album. It's, it's all improv. It's all like weird keyboard stuff and like... I really enjoyed doing it, and then it made me feel more free. And then I was like, you know what? I'm gonna keep making records under this name because no one's paying attention. Uh-huh. And then it became way bigger than Coma Cinema. Yeah. And then I was like, what? Oh no! Uh-huh. What, what have I done? You now know? I gotta go make a Coma Cinema yeah. record. Let me drive across the country to and go now do I, that. Now I yeah, and it. And, that, and then I went back to Coma Cinema because it was like coming home and safety from the Elvis thing that became way too big for me. Yeah. To handle, and. Um, it's so yeah. this internal pressure and it's completely internal because at that time you have labels that are putting things out for you but you're not signed to a label you're not sure. really under any sort of obligation other than is it just this is my thing and it's out there and now mm-hmm. that it's out there it's become part of a you know discography and i gotta follow through on that yeah especially when you look at like you know all my favorite artists you look at their like legacy and stuff you know and you see what they've done and you and you look at and i find myself now especially like wondering which you know which neil young period am i in right now which bob dylan period am i right now you compare yourself and you're like am i you know where am I? Am I slow train coming right now? You know, or, yeah, or what? For sure. Oh and, no! <laughs> and like, like I can deal with, I can deal with self portrait because blowing the tracks, it's coming. It's yeah. coming up. See, I, I love slow train coming. Do you? It's one of my favorite albums. Interesting. I've never. I don't think I've ever actually listened to it. It is. Does that have got to serve somebody on it? Is that the yeah, first that's one? The first track. You ever see? I'm not there. You ever see that movie? I, I seen. A lot of it, but I haven't seen the whole thing. But soundtrack acting is incredible. Soundtrack has those songs that mm-hmm. are, uh, I believe it's Christian Bale portrays that aspect okay. of Dylan. The Christian Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And John Doe records three tracks, I think, for it. Yeah. Dude. I know Mason Jennings is on there. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like him. But his fucking, like, he does pressing on, and it's like, holy shit, like, you were awesome. meant to do that. So, yeah, I mean, that, fuck, that's a lot to take in. And do, are you talking to people about it as it's happening? The the pressure, the how do I deal with yeah. this? How do I? Yeah, I have, I, have, I have a friend named Justin Blackburn who's a poet and a comedian. And a, we're kind of like each other's like Bob Zamuda. And we're both uh-huh. Andy Kaufman in yeah. a way, you know. Sure. And just that kind of friendship, you know. We've been friends for twelve years, and he—he he was the person who always was like, when everyone thought I sucked and no one cared, you know. He was always like, "Nah, your music's the greatest ever." And he, right. you know, I'm his favorite band, you know. He's uh-huh. one of my favorite. He's my favorite like writer, and we we encouraged each other. And I know in that period, I was talking to him a lot, like, 
what am I going to do? Right. You know, should I just quit? You know, and he was always very encouraging. And, and So Save the Planet, you put that out, and he's the one that's like, I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, this is awesome. You uh-huh. know? And then I put the other stuff out, and he's like, this is your best. I mean, every time I put a record out, right? You know, I was playing him the new Elvis stuff uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, he's just like, this is your best stuff. You know, he's always yeah. very, you got to have somebody like that in right, your life, right. I think. Because it's like, you feel that way too. Mm-hmm. It's tough to say it out loud. Sure, and it's and it's there's a stigma of believing in yourself, right? You know? Because it feels like you know once you got once you once you had Save the Planet out there, it's Elvis Presley like really just picks up sure. on what Coleman Cinema is doing. You have this this Mickey character. Yeah, is is that um is that Bowie inspired or is it just like I, mean, I love I, I I grew up with Bowie and and definitely the the idea of personas uh, yeah you know like velvet goldmine is one of my favorite movies what's ever. that it's uh it's a great movie i can't remember who directed it but it's got jonathan reese myers and ewan mcgregor and it's basically a fictitious depiction of the relationship between david bowie and iggy pop oh cool. kind of based on citizen kane and it's Whoa. very kind of a trippy movie and the soundtrack is fucking incredible it's like yeah. uh a mix of um real songs like from Brian Eno uh-huh. and and different kind of glam artists and then like songs they made for the movie that are just really incredible and um, Shudder to Think uh, which is a DC kind of like mathy hardcore band they yeah. do all these great glam rock songs say, right. that's a discord yeah they're on right? a discord band yeah. but they do all these great they they, they become uh, Maxwell Demon's band that's the character oh, and they make yeah. all these great Glam rock songs, uh-huh. and uh, you'd love the soundtrack and the movie. You'd probably love the movie too, but that kind of thing. Yeah, it sounds right on my alley. Persona for sure. and stuff like that. And at the time, I was like uh, the town drunk in in Colombia. You know, mm-hmm. I was doing. I had all kinds of problems: drugs, alcohol. Yeah, I was losing my mind, and that was sort of a persona of like, this is who you are when you use these things. Yeah, this is what you become, and I was kind of it was like talking to myself, kind of thing. Like you're, you're on the way. Yeah, and I really felt myself slipping, and a lot of that music is about that. I mean, there was those were some really sad times, but I look back on them now, I'm like, ah, oh, you were just in your early twenties, and it wasn't that big of a deal. Right, but it was a big deal then. Well, you know? I mean, I'm a recovering alcoholic, sure. so. Um, and I've like, been in and out myself, you know. Yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. I've quit for a while, and it's uh-huh. hard. I mean, right. good on you for being uh, able to. I, I remember you talked about that. I heard you talk about that before. You know? Yeah. Um, so, like, what, what kind of drugs are we talking about, if, if you don't mind just me asking? Pa- you know, painkillers, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, dude, that shit that. just, it gets you fucking right away. Do you mind if I ask about your dad? Your dad have problems? My dad, my mom, yeah. everybody. My mom, they're all... They all have my my granddad was an alcoholic, but yeah. then when he got word from his doctor they need to quit, he came home and he poured all his natural light down the sink and he never drank again. <laughs> but he was just a tough old bastard, you know. He right. Was just, yeah. But he just said, I don't need it anymore, and he poured it all down the sink and that was it. And it's but it's I'm like grandpa, I would have shotgun those. Yeah, it's like come on, pass me one. Yeah. But he he was able to do that, and I don't know, I I, I quit for a year. Uh huh. And it was the hardest thing. And the That's whole hard, everyone's yeah. always like, three months you won't even miss it. 
four months you only miss no. it but i i was over a year in and i was like i miss it every single day yeah <laughs> you know? i i do too and it's, i wish someone had said like hey you're gonna miss it every day of your life yeah you yeah know? that's um i don't know who's giving you that advice you always right. give, there's always advice yeah to be to be, sure, to be sure, god sure. <laughs> i mean yeah it's it's, a, it's someone will always give you advice you know yeah that's fucking and when it's in your genes and when you kind of i'm sure that you're you're going in there and you're kind of you're knowing like sure. at, at the very least like gotta be careful here that's a sort of that's well, kind of a i knew yeah. as it was happening i was like what you, you know what you've done yeah you know? and it really honestly in one way i'm glad because i've resented my mother for a long time because of her alcoholism put me in a lot of dangerous situations as a child yeah you know? being at houses where there's people like for jokes like putting guns to my head you know just try yeah. things that are ho- horrible for a child to experience and really rough things and i resented her for putting me there but then i realized like it wasn't her you know it wasn't her fault entirely she was a, she had me when she was 18 she was a young yeah mother and that, that's so hard and having the, the, going through it made me realize it, right yeah i realized like oh anybody can fall for this uh-huh you know it's yeah, not that she sure. was weak mm-hmm. in fact you know she's and she's you know doing much better today and we have a very great relationship but it, it wasn't that she was weak at all in fact she was very strong but the world uh can be very harmful and and really break you down yeah. and life is hard and i had to learn that lesson you know and um I did, but I, I was watching myself go into it. Like, here we go, right? Like it was my destiny, you know. Like, yeah, that's a big part of it. You, you'll do anything to, to make yourself accept it, or to make yourself like reach a point where you're not fighting it. Mm-hmm. And that destiny thing, yeah, it's it's like, well, I'm just going down, and you you get to a point where it's so far, it's like you know that you're not even in control anymore. Sure. So like let's just let's just let it happen. And then when you when you when I was young at least and a lot of people I think young people of my age and growing up in the kind of society we have had a mentality of like, well, you know, like we're not gonna live that long anyway. You right. Know? Yeah. Well, so who cares? Yeah. You know, we're all gonna Well anybody die. anybody who's in their in their twenties is is right. going um I'm immortal you know, or whatever. You feel immortal or so did that did that have anything to do with you like killing Mickey? Yeah. Yeah, that was that was kind of the thing where I realized that you know, my parents weren't bad people. They were people given an unfortunate situation that was a child to raise. And I, I was lucky that my grandfather was there for me. You know, he raised me and he was a wonderful man. I mean, he was he was the best father that anyone could ever have. Yeah. Um, but I, when I realized that, you know, I realized that it was, that they're just people, you know? And, and, and then, I, yeah, I wrote that song and, and it was about my relationship with them at the time, you know? And there's a song I wrote recently uh, called Never Know Why off of a record that I put out in my name. Um, and it's kind of ex- exploring that again from a later period of even being more understanding, yeah, and more forgiving, and letting a lot of that stuff go. And you know, um, it seems like it's it's always going to be there. You yeah. can 
always be mad at it because sure. it happened and it's never going to change. Yeah. And if you're able to just move on sure. and to fully forgive, to not yeah. hold, you know, any sort of reason to, you know, justify anger or resentment, you're able right. to actually move forward. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's great when you have that self-assuredness. Sure. Like, it takes time. You know? It does. But you, and, you know, you have to look around and see w what you're blessed by. I mean, I'm super blessed. Yeah. I'm sitting here with you. I'm playing these shows. People come out and they tell me, you know, that my music means something, you know, and I get validated, you know, by that. And I've been so lucky. I mean, I've gone to Europe. I've seen the world. Just some yeah. goofy dummy from south carolina you know and i've seen the whole world are you able to take that in and and maybe use it as a way to to say to yourself like it doesn't matter if this thing is not if the last thing was a b plus sure this can also be a b plus or yeah. even a b yeah. it doesn't have to be the greatest thing ever. I can just write good sure. songs that yeah. continue. I'm getting there, and and that's been a new thing for me. It's like this whole time, my whole, you know, you call it a career or whatever. I've been waiting for the the rug to be pulled out the yeah. whole time because I'm like, this can't be permanent. And I think, you know, we both love the replacements. I think they had the same mentality. We're like, this is all. There's no way that this is real. Right. We're opening for Tom Petty. There's no way this is real. Uh -huh. So they never took it, you know, because it's all going to go away, right? And I feel I've felt the same way, but I'm starting to realize that, like, you know, I'm I'm just in this thing, and you know, if people listen less or listen more, it's it's not really going to matter. I just need to keep making things that make me happy, you know. Yeah. And I, and the stuff I've been recording that's coming out, you know, this year hopefully is like a lot of it's stuff that might people might not be into i'm into it personally but i mean it's like it's stuff i made after listening to like nothing but like chief keef and 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 like some of the 80s miles davis records and stuff that mm -hmm. i really love and slow train coming and it's like a lot of it that these are these things that are swirling around and it's, it's gonna in water boys and it's gonna be very like it doesn't sound like the stuff that's that's popular but i love it yeah but i'm okay with people thinking it's not that great because maybe the next thing i make they'll think it's amazing. I don't know, you know, it's, yeah. so I'm getting better about just being like, just keep going and whatever happens, happens. It's not. Is that under your name or is that under Elvis? Still? It's going to be under Elvis. Yeah. yeah. So you reach a point, um, and I feel like when Delaney joins the band, it's mm. kind of like phase two. Of yeah. It was a different. Hollow Pleasure, it's just, so tender and and mm -hmm. sweet and um you know do you mind if i ask uh did were you two seeing each other before she joined the band we weren't until she was already in the band yeah and then and then we started seeing each other and yeah it, she, she she's very incredibly talented and, and came with a different perspective than i had about music so i learned a lot and she added a ton of 
ton of interesting stuff to those to those records. Also, um, Eric Jones, who was my roommate at the time. Yeah. I just kind of went next door one day. I was like, hey, you want to play bass? You know? <laughs> and it was kind of that thing. And yeah, and it changed the sound. It became a real band for a while. And now it's back to right. just me. But it became, for a minute, it became like a band. And that was something I always wanted because I was always like the, the solo picking out whoever's around right come play me with me and it can it, only sustain itself for so long sure you've reached a couple of points within doing it where maybe you you see that it's it might might be helpful to just have someone who could uh drive for an hour right. so i can right. just yeah. sit and, and and hang i wasn't doing it on those early it's Especially the Columbus Cinema Tours, I was not doing any of the driving. Well, dri- I was, the metaphorical <laughs> driving, man. That was the wild, yeah. I guess I was driving the the reason we were there, but uh, I've had to go back and be like, hey, sorry, I was uh, hard to do. I'd disappear, you know? Yeah. I would just go. Yeah, sure. I would just get drunk and disappear, and my band would be looking for me. I remember there was one night in brooklyn and i was on a rooftop drinking uh, evan williams uh-huh. and i'm looking down and i see my band and they're walking down the streets of brooklyn and this is like 2009 2010 they're like screaming my name looking for me and i'm just up there like eh, you know drinking and it's like well just watching yeah and i'm like eh, i'll get at him in the morning i'll find him <laughs> you know and they just didn't know where i was that you know but i didn't I was just living in the moment, moment to moment. I didn't think you're I, living. You're living inside of a fucking thing of Evan Williams. Yeah, what, yeah I'm down. <laughs> it's, in like, the, it's like those moments when you're just like underneath the oh, bottle, I, like, like Lou Reed really would can't. Say. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's like oh, I'm just straight up. I have no control. The moment the thing that's the touches best my song about alcoholism to me ever. Underneath the bottle, off the blue mask. Yeah, just. Yep. That's my favorite Lou record. That's just my favorite fucking, Lou record. Dude, it's Quine. No he one has ever said that except he you destroys. To me. My friend David doesn't like Lou Reed at all. And I found a copy of The Blue Mask. The and day I was John like, Kennedy died is the funniest song I've ever heard dude, in my life. It's so good. I crack up. It's so fucking good. And it's about the dark thing, but the way he delivers it is so hilarious. Yeah. He is he was people don't understand how funny he is. That song I Love Women. It's one of the fun because it starts off like right. you can agree with everything he's saying, and then all of a sudden he starts talking about eunuchs and and he goes into this crazy like diatribe, and it's the funniest. It's like complete insane comedy. I love yeah, it. he's he's a funny guy. I don't think he would be very much fun, but he is a funny guy. Well, I guess we'll never know, but uh-huh. you know, and Laurie Anderson, you know, they were married for so long. Yeah, and, and she's one of the greatest geniuses to ever live. You know. Yeah, yeah. I just read. I read the book last year. It's I, it's good. I need to. It's a hard look. <laughs> um, it, it it feels like you've taken a lot of brightness in a lot of different ways. New mm-hmm. Alhambra. It, it it is about the end of times, but it's it also is an homage like, to things I love, uh-huh. like wrestling. Yeah, there's Terry Funk on there. New Jack is on there. It's hard to hear. No way. There's uh, it's during um, Thou Shalt Not Murder. Uh huh. Because the song is about Chris Benoit, which oh, really yeah. wrecked me Yeah, as a wrestling, and any wrestling fan. Yeah, it's so That's got to be the worst thing to ever happen to you, uh, besides maybe like Owen Hart dying or something. Yeah. But it might be even worse because it's like someone that I watched from WCW, I was playing him in the video games, someone that, you know, you're so happy to see succeed, like with Eddie. Yeah. Who, in Eddie's speech on... Um, before the Brock Lesnar match about his 
uh, addiction. Yeah, is the great. I watch it, and when I was sober, I was watching it almost every day. Yeah, and to, I just to get through it. it. Yeah, and it's the one of the greatest. Like, you know, people who don't watch wrestling might not understand, but I think anyone could watch that and just get chills thinking about Eddie because he's so passionate. He's so yeah, he's and so he, real, and he's too, not just fighting for right. a fake title belt. He is, but he's fighting for his his life and his family. Mm-hmm. It became real in that moment. And yeah. So I yeah I sampled New Jack talking about the Chris Benoit thing on uh, on that song. And there's a ton of wrestling references, you know. I mean, is it, I, I kind of wanted to with that record like take things from my childhood that gave me comfort. You uh-huh. know? Wrestling, um, watching weird prophecy shows with my grandma, and and take this childhood stuff, these childhood memories, and kind of connect them to the present day, which was very dark, and try to, you know, mix them together and make something that was um, comfortable, you know. That was like a cathartic thing to make yeah. that record. And it took forever to patch all that stuff together. Right, and, right. And it's a, it's a kind of, a, you know, putting so much... I think that those childhood things, those warm blankets... Yeah. Once once you get knocked down enough, once you get mm-hmm. so wrapped up in your own present day shit, sure. you and back, you yeah. just you're on the floor, and yeah. it's like, yeah. oh, I'm gonna put that record on. Oh, I'm gonna put on, you know, in your house too. Yeah. Watch Shawn Michaels I'm versus play Jeff Chrono Jarrett. Trigger right. again yeah. or something. You know, yeah. like you you go back to those things that that brought you the comfort and the safety. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, you're able to like build yourself back up. Sure, you got to start it. back at the square one. You know, sometimes going with run for cover. Then, mm-hmm. you know, why did it make sense after all these years to now be on a label? I was broke. Yeah. I was so broke. It was I was unbelievably broke. I I was you know I was on food stamps and stuff, but I wasn't getting a lot of food stamps. Uh huh. And I had no money. I couldn't get work, um, and you know, after all these years, there's really never been labels really haven't ever been interested, you know, because uh-huh. they, you know, I've heard things through the grapevine. People say like I'm hard to deal with and stuff like that, but really, what they mean by that is that like I don't want to do things that I think are wrong, you know. Like uh-huh. we we had a booking agent and we lost our booking agent because our agent was booking for bands that have done things that are really wrong like you know mm-hmm. have hurt people and done these things and we said this was wrong and then we just got dropped you know and that's sort of been the story this whole time that I'm not willing to bend certain things to be a part of the business I just I'm not it's not it doesn't uh I couldn't sleep at night you know right and you know I'm not some you know paragon of moral anything but there's certain things that just it's just they're just wrong and and so i think it's interesting to 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 see you coming from this place and i guess thinking about it in terms of the the dialogue that we're all kind of engaged in now where a lot of a lot of wrongs are are being pointed out Mm -hmm. but your your stance has seemed to be very very hard but also not in the way that's maybe a little bit more and I don't want to sound like I'm saying anything is 
like being said in order to to bolster one's sure, self, yeah. but you're not saying them on social media. You're not right, yeah. you're you're not taking the stance in in that sense. It's mm-hmm. you're not you're not benefiting from it, which isn't to right. say that anybody is is doing it in order to benefit. But sure. when but there's there's corporate, there's corporate entities that that sort of use any kind of social issue uh, to to make themselves look better to sell more shit you know i mean like and that's and that has gotten into you know indie rock and stuff like that or or any kind of music you know it's it's become this marketable thing but they're not they're not actually enacting any kind of change and they're not really taking a stand you know but i i you know i think that's where the idea of me being difficult to work with comes in because I I'm not difficult to work with. I just I don't want I don't want to sacrifice my dignity, my morals. I don't want to give away things that I believe are mine, like you know my publishing. You know, I, like I right. want these things because I believe uh-huh. that I earned them. And the the music industry is more into people who are willing to just sort of lay down for an opportunity and just say do whatever. I just want to be you know, blog famous or whatever, right. whatever it is now. Right. But, you know, that's kind of the vibe I get. And so Run For Cover was like, you know, one of the only labels that ever approached me. And they were very understanding. They said, you know, pretty much whatever deal you think is fair is fine by us. And and I desperately needed money. I was so broke. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and it worked out. I mean, they've they've been super supportive. They're a cool label. You know, I don't like everything they put out, but I like a lot of the things they put out. Yeah. And I've also, since I got right. in, I've been able to be like, hey, why don't you, you know, Spencer Radcliffe is one of the greatest songwriters ever. Katie Day, like, yeah, why don't we, absolutely. why don't we put this stuff out? Uh, uh-huh. Infinity Crush or any of these bands, Alex G, like, let's repress some of the old stuff. I've been able to get, you know, they listen to me. They, they yeah. respect my opinion. And uh, it's good to get that. It's good that you, yeah. it's, it's, um, you know. It's important to be choosy sometimes, sure. and the the fact that you found one after so many years that makes mm-hmm. sense for you and validates yeah. you in in many different ways is good. Yeah. Um, I never thought it would be the, the the perfect fit that it is because you know I didn't know any of the bands that they were putting out really. It was it wasn't like at the time it wasn't like the coolest label, but they've become you know very yeah. cool or, and they've kind of been given their due finally after kind of having to prove themselves too they're kind of underdogs too and people yeah, don't realize that they definitely they weren't seen as like like a merge or a sub pop but they're they're on that level and they're better than those labels in my opinion they got i think they got kind of saddled with uh you know being a one thing sure but i think once tiny engines kind of yep. came up and and said no look like sure. we can do a lot of things and rover cover was very much Absolutely. in line with that and they're very smart i mean jeff and and tom and all the people that work at rover cover are like good people they have good hearts yeah you know and they listen to their artists they really care they're not just in it for money i don't even honestly the owner jeff i feel like he he does not even care about money uh-huh. Like in, on the level I do, because I'm always worried about my bills and all this stuff. Sure, he'll do anything. He doesn't care if it makes money or not. Yeah. He'll lose money freely just to put out something he likes. And I would never do that. There's <laughs> bands that I think are the greatest band in the world. I would right. never put out their record because I'd lose thousands of dollars. You know, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> but he'll do it. He doesn't care. So um, Delaney left 
the band in in 2018. Mm-hmm. You want to yeah. talk about that? We don't have to if you I... don't want to. It just didn't work out. That's all I can really say. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, you doing all right? Yeah. I'm doing better. A lot better. I think we both are. That's we're, good. I think we're both happier. Um, bands don't. There's a great, uh, one of my favorite lines ever from a song, Mercury Rev. Uh, bands, those those funny little plans that never work quite right. You know? And yeah. we got a song on our new record called Let's Break Up the Band. Uh-huh. And and the chorus is, uh, it's just a band. It's not our lives. We fell into the well, and the well went dry. And that's, yeah, you know, that's kind of like, and it's not about our band, but it's about any band. I've, I've known so many bands that have broken up or changed, and, you know, they just change. It's, it's, it's okay, you know. I think that there was a perception that when Delaney left that the project was going to be wrapping up. And I think there was a perception even before that that it was ending, right? And and I don't know exactly where it came from. But There's a Fader interview around. where you were you were kind of oh, maybe, like maybe I if said Delaney, something off. If Delaney isn't doing this, then then I'm not either. Yeah. And I I think a lot of that was me trying to um, trying to kind of get uh, once again run away, sure, and and make it not about me. But it's like I'm writing all the songs. Like at the end of the day. I'm writing all the songs, but I've I've always wanted to be. A, I'm scared of what could be in a lot of ways, and maybe right. that's why I never like have hit certain heights that some of my good friends have that I'm super proud of them for. But maybe that's part of it, you know, is that I'm I push against it. I you know I don't I don't want to be. I don't know if you push against it necessarily, um, as much as you. You see it, and you say, "All right, but before I do that, yeah, let me do one last coma cinema record. Sure, let me sure. let me go, kind of very similarly, I think, mm-hmm. to the beginning of Elvis with your solo stuff, Start where you're records on my name. Yeah, yeah you're it's just the same. It's going the same thing. going wild on doing those, weird just stuff, just exploring. Because it's yeah. like I'm, I listen to that, and I'm like, doing whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah." And he's happy to be being more free. And right. At this point, like the next project was going to be free jazz or something. Like, because I keep right. just going more into just the the. I when you do a band, you get, you get the these ideas about what you're doing. You know, you people see it as something that it is. Like they, we're, we're still uh, Elvis Presley is still sort of seen as like a hollow pleasures type band. Uh you know, I've been really happy that when we play the new songs, people really react to them more so than they reacted when we played, you know, Humber songs for the first time. Right. After Hollow Pleasures. But when when we play like Weird Honey, we still get, you know, right, that's yeah, when yeah. you get the, the, the cheap pop, as they call it in wrestling, uh-huh, you know. Uh-huh. Like, it's so... it. What's up, Chicago? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you don't know who to shout out, the Cubs or the White Sox. I would right. shout out the White Sox, but... You don't know what's going to happen. Nobody gets mad about the White okay. Sox. But Frank Thomas the- was great. Yeah, know? exactly. <laughs> everybody everybody loved him. Big Hurt. We all love Big uh-huh. Hurt. <laughs> then fucking Albert Bell came in and ruined everything. You feeling good now? You feeling yeah. like, you're in a, like you're in a good spot? I'm getting better. I don't, I'm not afraid. Uh, I'm not as afraid anymore. I, I think that I, I, what I see now is my role is... And you know, I hate to keep going back to wrestling, but I know we're big wrestling fans. So, but I see myself as like putting over new talent a lot now. That's like something I really 
care about, you know? Yeah. And I've been trying to do it for the last couple of years with finding these bands and telling people about them and then watching them get huge is, like, amazing for me. Yeah. It's like, I've always wanted, when you like when, like making people a mixtape, you know, you want them to, like, like what you like, you know? Yeah. And so I've been able to do that on a scale that's, like, cultural, even in the underground, where I can get people to listen to stuff. And it's, like, almost like I'm, like, changing what is the cool music to listen to on some level by just telling people, like, this band is so great. This yep. band, people listen to me. Yeah. You know, even there's certain websites that wouldn't write about me. Right. But they'll definitely write about the bands I put on my Twitter. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's, sure. That's, that's cool to me. That's good. That's good. And I feel like the satisfaction out of that you get out of introducing people to a thing yeah. I feel and that. They dig it. And you're like, oh, yeah. this is so good. It's and better even than you did. Right. And, and you're still able to to make the things that you can put on mm -hmm. for three weeks in a row and just be like, fuck, yeah. Yeah. This is good to me. Yeah. And that's, that's what I'm going to go back to this podcast is Colt Cabana's Art of Wrestling. Sure. Yeah. And I'll, I'll never forget Kofi Kingston. On yeah, Colt Cabana in 2011, and Colt says, "So, you know, what do you think? Is it just mid card forever?" And Kofi's like, "I don't know, yeah, but I'm gonna keep doing it." And there it is, there he is. something then, for you to go off with. And in the, in the, in the uh -huh. elimination chamber, he's he's. I was. I mean, I would. I was coming unglued. My oh, friends man. were texting me. Oh, man. We thought he could win. And that's the greatest thing, especially for people like us who've been watching wrestling for so long. When they can make you believe. Yep. You know it's great. You know. Dude. Great talking to you. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. All right, hey, my word, that was a good one. Matt is such a gifted writer, and he's crafted a catalog that is not only spotless, but it tells a story of a constant creative forge. He puts a lot into what he makes. It's great to see him finding a balance and a way to create it in nurturing ways. Happy to see him finding ways to stretch himself and to find the right spot and the name he's built was so great having him over check out elvis depressly online elvis depressly.bandcamp.com that solo work can be found at matthew lee .com. subscribe to this podcast on apple podcast stitcher rate it write a review tell a friend about the show we are on bandcamp better yet podcast.bandcamp.com the website is betteryetpod.com. Patreon helps support it over at patreon.com slash betteryetpodcast. And thank you so much. Thanks to Matt. Thank you, Chloe and Lily. Is this my favorite Lifetime song? Well, goodness, it just might be tomorrow night, G-Man Tavern. I'll give you my drink tickets. Come back next week. Thanks, brothers.